When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
Good evening and welcome to the Independent Republican. Mike Graham, you're with Talk. We're on TV, we're on radio, we're online and of course uh, we're on your smart speaker. Coming up, Suella Braverman launches a scathing attack on the Prime Minister after he fired her as Home Secretary and she accuses him of betraying her, tells him your plan is not working. Uh, hot off the back of that dramatic reshuffle, Rishi Sunak's attention turns to a crunch ruling on the Rwanda deportation scheme tomorrow when judges will decide if it can go ahead. And as the Israel-Hamas conflict rages on, another battle is being fought on TikTok. Stay tuned to find out why. Good evening and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It is your home of common sense every night. Well, uh, here we are again, back at that old familiar place, a place that anyone sensible could have predicted after the extraordinary events of yesterday when Rishi Sunak decided it would be a great idea to sack Suella Braverman and hire former Prime Minister David Cameron. Yes, indeed, the Tories are at war again. And tragically, it's the thing they've been so good at in recent years. Some might say it's the only thing they've actually been good at. Who could forget those dark days of 2019 when so many Conservative MPs refused to vote for a Brexit they never believed in? I remember them well. We sat for hours and hours in the tent of shame on College Green, holding them all to account. Some defected, some were later voted out, but many in the establishment never really accepted the result of that 2016 referendum, and they still don't. Make no mistake, this latest battle for control of the party is not just about the Ramonas, nor is it just about who's really running the country. It's about us, the people. And I think we deserve a lot better. We deserve better than to be represented by a Prime Minister who, in the words of Suella Braverman today, has no personal mandate for the job, who refused to listen to her, and who manifestly and repeatedly failed to deliver on every one of the government's key pledges. We deserve better than to nod in agreement when a PR man for investment in China, like David Cameron, can be wafted into the Cabinet via a House of Lords back door. And we deserve to be taken seriously when we voice our concerns about immigration, about jobs, housing and even public spending. Let's face it, Britain is in a mess. There's another Palestinian rally in London tomorrow. Who would bet it won't end up in more clashes with the police and other members of the public going about their business? And that problem has still not been solved by Rishi Sunak. Meanwhile, the small boats still come. Over 600 illegal migrants crossed on Sunday. And still people worry about net zero driving up prices. We'll be addressing all of this Tory civil war with a host of great guests. And we'll be crossing live to Israel where new talks could result in the release of 80 hostages by Hamas in a deal for a temporary ceasefire. We'll get the view from the United States of America as well. It's also King Charles' 75th birthday. And we'll be celebrating that. Something for a change. And we'll bring you all the front pages of tomorrow's papers before anyone else. It's another massive show, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Independent Republican Mike Graham. Let us get it on. Don't forget you can get in touch with the show on all the socials at Talk TV. On the phones, 0344 499 1000. Calls will cost you the national rate. Uh, but it is the bombshell from Braverman that's ignited a new civil war within the Tory party. The Axe Home Secretary has mauled Prime Minister Rishi Sunak in an extraordinary letter this evening, blasting him for weak leadership. Your rejection of this path was not merely a betrayal of our agreement, she says, but a betrayal of your promise to the nation that you would do whatever it takes to stop the boats. You have manifestly and repeatedly failed to deliver on every single one of these key policies. Either your distinctive style of government means you are incapable of doing so, or as I must now surely conclude, you never had any intention 
of keeping your promises. Ouch. Well, joining me now in the studio is Daily Telegraph's deputy comment editor, Annabelle Denham. Annabelle, I think if uh, anyone had written that about you or me, uh, who you had just fired, uh, you'd probably find yourself having a bit of a sticky night, uh, not really sleeping, wouldn't you? You certainly would. This feels like a very personal attack on Rishi Sunak's character, not the kind of attack that mm. we've seen previously. Of course, he's been accused of being a technocrat, of being too managerialist, of focusing too much on the data, not really leading, not going for it with his gut. Yeah. But this is about his integrity. This is the suggestion that he could be doing something about these issues and he's choosing not to. Mm. And one line that really struck, uh, stood out for me was when he, when she talked about him trying to minimise political risk. Yes. As though Rishi Sunak's guiding philosophy is mm. the idea that he doesn't want to be too unpopular. He doesn't right. want conservative backbenchers to be coming after him and he's choosing the path mm. of least resistance. Yeah. And that, to me, is, is really very damaging. And indeed. she makes a couple of more than strong hints that he's really only doing the job because he wants to be in the job. He's not doing it because he believes in anything. She's more or less accusing him of using her to get to the job because uh, in order for her to, uh, to sort of be convinced things would happen if he gave her the job. You know, things would happen with Boris Johnson, other things would happen around other figures in the, in the party. And she's basically accusing him of letting her down, of lying to her uh, and of lying to everybody else. I think a lot of people are going to feel very let down mm. at the moment. Uh, I suspect, actually, Mike, that the country has shifted quite far towards the right over the last yeah. few weeks, ever since people have looked on, many of them appalled at the protests that have been taking place every weekend, not least on Armistice Day. In terms of Rishi Sunak and what is driving him now, I, I think that when he came into power, he wanted to be a good loser. Yeah. I think he knew that the chances that the Tories were going to win the next general election were extremely slim, and he wanted to minimise the losses and perhaps come out of it with his personal reputation mm. intact. Now, a few months ago, we saw him slightly break away from that with um, some of the rowing back or watering down of the net zero policies, perhaps looking as though he might get tougher on immigration. Yeah. Now, but it was he's almost like he, yeah, it. it was almost like he put his toe in the water mm. uh, and he got sort of slapped around a bit behind closed doors by the people who don't want the Tory party to move to the right. They don't want it to be the Boris Johnson sort of populist party. But there's more bad news for tonight. There's a poll out tonight, uh, apparently, just been released, in which it shows reform around 11 percent. Um, and, and, and actually, you know, a very small number now behind the Tories in single digits, very possibly behind the Tories and possibly uh, on sort of on track for getting as many votes as UKIP got that time when they only had to be fair got one seat, but they got an awful lot of votes. So there's definitely a move to the right in the country. There's a very real risk that the next general election will be absolutely catastrophic for the Conservative yeah. Party, that they could be left with something like 100 seats, right. if if not less, and that at the same time, we're going to see reform becoming a serious contender. You know, for a long time, people have asked why it is that the uh, that the UK doesn't have a populist party of its own. We've yeah. looked overseas to European nations yeah. where we've seen the rise of the far right in many cases mm. and scratched our heads and wondered when the same thing was going to mm. come here. Now, part of the reason for the delay, of course, was the Brexit referendum and yeah. how that slightly scratched the itch. But now the real question is, what will the nature of the losses be at mm. the next general election? Uh, is it going to be most damaging in the red wall or in the blue wall. And I think if the Tories retain more blue wall seats, if they can fend off the challenge from the Liberal Democrats, then they will remain this centrist, a lot of people call them a wet Tory mm. uh, party, and that will give real opportunity for a 
reform or another party yeah. to rise up. There is alternatively a possibility where they retain more Red Bull seats. And what that means is that the Tories themselves could become almost a populist party. Yes, they could. But I think the trouble is, is at the moment, certainly from what Sir Bravman's been saying, they don't really have the heart for that. They certainly don't have the heart for that with Rishi Sunak, but maybe they have the heart for that with her at the helm. I mean, do you think that she's positioning herself to come back after the election loss, hoping that she will be the next leader? Do you think that's her game? I think it's very difficult to see this as anything other than her putting her marker in the sand and setting out her stall for uh, the country, for what perhaps uh, a Tory party with Suella as their leader might look like. Now, the concern for Suella, I imagine, is that the support she's had really from the parliamentary party hasn't been that robust. Of right. course, we've had the new Conservatives coming out today and saying that they're worried that the Red Wall is being abandoned by Rishi Sunak. But that's more about the ideology of the Conservative yeah. Party and the direction it's going in than his, Rishi Sunak's treatment of Suella Braverman. And I suspect that she's less popular, has less support than perhaps she was anticipating. Mm. And there's the other concern for her, that actually we're still quite a long way from a general election. Now, you could argue that this means she can wash her hands of everything that happens over the next 12 months. Yeah. But you could also say that in 12 months' time, if a week isn't a long, a long time mm. in politics, people are slightly going to have forgotten who Swell well, and was. I mean, there is that chance, I suppose. A lot of people have said to me this week, though, surely to heavens they can't last a year like this because they're literally eating themselves. And the Tories are famously good at getting re-elected. They're famously good at getting rid of leaders when they need to. Um, it seems to me it may be past the point where somebody's going to say, but is Rishi Sunak really the guy? I mean, I don't know who the hell they're going to bring back in. Hopefully not David Cameron, because all these people who keep saying to me, oh, David Cameron, very well respected internationally, great prime minister. I mean, his rating as a prime minister is actually very much, very much on the low side. I mean, he's not remembered as a great prime minister at all, is my view. It's difficult to see the David Cameron appointment as anything other than dead cat strategy. Yeah. They knew that Suella Braverman was going to be hitting the headlines. Rishi obviously has been under pressure for days to sack her. He yeah. knew he was finally going to take that decision. He wanted to do something diverting that was going to distract people, mm. distract the media yeah. from the Suella story. But it was extraordinarily short-sighted because 24 hours later, of course, we've had this scathing resignation yeah. letter from Suella Braverman, possibly even even maybe not that surprising, but possibly yeah. even worse than Rishi Sunak was expecting. And now here they here they are. They're going to wake up tomorrow morning in the cold light of day with David Cameron as their foreign secretary, who's got to deal with major issues yeah. in Ukraine, the Middle East, when his track record on foreign policy is, is not especially glowing. It's, it's terrible. And also the other thing is, is that, you know, all the things that she said and the things that she wrote in The Times came out to be true. You know, the idea that she was sort of breaking ranks and that he didn't have faith in her after saying that he did, um, I can see that. But the point is, is that all the things that she said would happen did happen. And they weren't sort of as a result of what she said. They were going to happen anyway. And we've got another Palestinian rally tomorrow, the first one, I think, on a Wednesday, where they're going to go and parade around Westminster by presumably the thousands, um, maybe tens of thousands. And they're going to be calling for a ceasefire inside the House of Commons for people to vote for that. You know, this isn't going away anytime soon, and Rishi has done nothing. I mean, there was a headline on the front page of the Times on Monday saying he's going to get the police to crack down on these anti-Semites. Well, so far, I think they've arrested about eight people. There's clearly a lot more to go. 
a pretty damning indictment of British politics, I think, that you can be sacked for being right. Yeah. There's certainly a strong case to be made that uh, Sweller has been right all along about these protests. And I've, I've always felt that she's politically been quite useful to Rishi Sunak because she's been able to come out and say things yeah. that he perhaps as prime minister has been unable to. Now, you can argue whether as Home Secretary she was the right mm. person to make these points. But nonetheless, there is a large contingent of British people who are very uncomfortable when they see the scenes at the protests on their television screens when they hear chants of jihad and they feel as though the political elite are just brushing it off. They're not taking it adequately seriously. Mm. And Sweller was at least speaking to those people, even if her remarks didn't have much in the way of practical significance. Yeah. And now that Rishi Sunak has lost her, I wonder if the Tories' only option actually is to have a tougher policy. Mm. Perhaps it will be tomorrow that they decide we're going to leave the ECHR. Yeah. But they felt as though they couldn't do that with Suella, the loose cannon, in charge of the Home Office. Even we'll though see. she's saying that she provided them with ways of doing things, she showed them how it could be done, she showed them what the path would be, but she's basically now accusing him of doing nothing other than wasting everybody's time, because if they do turn around tomorrow to the Supreme Court and say, sorry, you can't do this, they'll have wasted basically a year and a half, a load of money, a load of conversations, and there'll be no further on. But we'll keep coming back to this, because we've got more to talk about. Annabel Denham is here. You're watching uh, The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Coming up, an Israeli military uh, continues the hunt for a Hamas terrorist in Gaza, and we're going to have an exclusive Talk TV investigation, which is going to highlight the dark arts of TikTok and how the platform is actually pushing pro-Palestinian propaganda onto the users. That's next. Don't go away. Welcome back. You're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. In a moment, we're going to talk about China. But first, uh, I want to talk to Annabel Denham about Rishi's net zero plans. Um, because uh, coming up in a moment, uh, we're going to be talking about a, a Talk TV investigation. Fascinating one. But, but Annabel, I didn't want to let you go before we get into net zero and inflation, because I know that's one of your um, secret pet subjects. Um, net zero, as you said, was something that it looked like Rishi was going to kind of put on the back burner for a while. I wonder now whether he's going to put it back to the front because, you know, he's going to try and please the centre of the party. But there's an accusation going around at the moment that it's literally driving inflation. That's right. So a member of the uh, Monetary Policy Committee at the Bank of England, Catherine Mann, has warned that inflation is, is being driven up by the push to net zero. This is not it's surprising at all because energy is such an important component of the inflation data. Now, what's interesting is that this is coming a day before we get the latest set. Um, there is an expectation that Rishi may have reached his target of halving inflation by the end of the year. Yeah. It was 10.7 percent back in January. You know, let, let's hope that this can be one of the five pledges that he actually manages to to hit. Um, but nonetheless, what this underscores is just how pervasive the damage that net zero is mm. doing to our economy really is and how people are feeling this in the pocket. And of course they are. We have policies that are indirectly driving up the cost of living and a government that seems very out of touch with the impact that it's having on ordinary people. Yeah, because people keep talking about getting to net zero. They haven't yet got it in their heads that an awful lot of people who are struggling are not that worried about getting there. You know, they can worry about getting there in 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years. They're not really worried about getting there any sooner. 
No, I think you know most people are just worried about how they're going to make ends meet at the end of the month and right. not thinking about how well, they're Christmas going to, to decarbonise. Um, you know, a lot of people in this country are doing their bit. They're recycling. There's been a, a shift to people using electric vehicles, but arguably we're doing all of the easy stuff now and it's going to be when we get into the 2030s that the real pain is going to be felt if indeed we're going to press ahead with this target of reaching net zero by 2050 which you know this is just classic politicians um, grandstanding setting targets now for politicians in the future to mm. have to deal with and of course it, it, we've got this completely sort of centralized top-down approach to net zero where the government is trying to pick winners yeah. it's trying to change people's behaviors force particular technologies on them when ultimately what we should be doing is letting the market discovery process get underway yeah. perhaps have some kind of carbon tax and let entrepreneurs and the innovators come up with the best technologies yeah. and the cheapest way Absolutely. Possible. And if people want to make money out of it and they want to sell us stuff which is cost less, then fine, let them do it. But don't take, try and force stuff on it which, which costs more. Annabelle, thank you very much indeed. And now let's talk about a Talk TV investigation which has been done for this programme tonight. It reveals how Chinese-owned TikTok is pushing pro-Palestinian and anti-Semitic content on its young users. Our investigators set up a brand new account and within just five minutes we received a video entitled Israel isn't a real country. China, of course, is a supporter of the Palestinian cause. And just yesterday, TikTok was banned by the government of Nepal over fears that it was disrupting social harmony. Here's Holly Hudson with her exclusive report. Five reasons why you should support Israel. Palestinians have not been having representation for the past 75 years. I stand with Israel. If you were posting, I stand with Israel. As the Israel-Hamas conflict continues, another battle is being fought on TikTok. We stand with the mothers, the children, caught in the crossfire on both sides. When did you start to ask yourself, what about Palestine? Too freaking late. The f*** is wrong with people? With young people turning to the platform in their droves to discuss it. But there's some concern over the conversation that's taking place. Talk TV set up a new TikTok account and within five minutes this video appeared. Did you know that the country Israel is not actually a real country? from misinformation to conspiracy theories. You don't think that there's anything fishy going on here? The user was then flooded with content about the war, including viewpoints and videos from pro-Palestinian politicians. When Israel terrorizes the Palestinian people every day, is that terrorism? When he's going to wake up and start living in the real world? And podcasters. For nearly a century now, no one stepped in to help them. So it begs the question of what's actually going on. 14-year-old Rafi is Jewish from London. He says when he scrolls the app, all he tends to see is videos of Palestinian casualties. I have been really shocked, as I think it's really one-sided, as I've seen mostly pro-Palestine videos. And I think it's actually really dangerous how you only see one side, as you should be seeing the Israel side as well as the pro-Palestine side. In the US, there are renewed calls to ban TikTok over allegations that the app owned by Chinese company ByteDance is pushing pro-Palestinian content. TikTok should be banned because they are poisoning American minds and I would do it week one. Former Tinder executive Jeff Morris Jr. went viral, claiming Israel is losing the TikTok war. Other tech experts, though, dispute that. TikTok boasts an estimated 17 million active users in the UK, the majority of which are between 18 and 24 years old. And its publicly viewable user data suggests a greater affinity for the Palestinian cause among them, although pro-Israel content is also popular on the site. 
And Israel's foreign ministry has also been pushing out videos like this one to drum up support for its actions. TikTok say it's simply false to suggest they're pushing pro-Palestinian content and in a statement said, since the start of the Israel-Hamas war, we have removed more than 925,000 videos in the conflict region for violating our policies around violence, hate speech, misinformation and terrorism, including content promoting Hamas. Fascinating stuff. To discuss this and more, I'd like to welcome former diplomat to China, Charles Parton. Charles, uh, welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Thanks for talking to us. Um, there's an awful lot about TikTok that we don't know, I suppose, an awful lot about the way that it operates that we don't know. Uh, we know that uh, it's been outlawed in Parliament. It's been outlawed in, uh, in US government circles, I think, as well. Um, the power of propaganda, though, is something we should be concerned about, isn't it? Very definitely. I mean, the Chinese Communist Party puts an awful lot of money and effort in, into propaganda, um, both in terms of traditional media, but also increasingly in terms of um, new media, both its own, which is TikTok, but also it's on, on Twitter and, and other uh, uses Western platforms, which aren't available, of course, in China, many no. of them. No, that's the thing. And I mean, I suppose the difficulty for um, people trying to regulate TikTok is that, you know, you make the argument that you shouldn't be able to put certain things on TikTok themselves. say they've, they've got rid of almost a million posts, which they consider to be uh, in conflict with their values and, and their rules. But the trouble is most, I suppose, what you might call people in government don't really understand TikTok and it's most popular with very young people. So um, who's really watching it? Well, I think that's that's a, a very very difficult because I think the vast majority of people are not politically inclined and they're probably not um, very much swayed by it. Uh, but then, you know, you, you do worry about uh, occasions when the Chinese might want to use TikTok in a more aggressive fashion, for instance, when it comes to uh, elections or, or whatever. But I think, you know, my main worry is, and, and I'm not an expert, I wouldn't describe myself as an expert on on the science of TikTok and et cetera, but from what I read, it's, it's the effect on people's, young people's development of their minds that can also be um, really quite deleterious, quite apart from the, the actual content, content itself. Mm. And I think one thing you, you can say, uh, I mean, I think whichever uh, sort of media and platform it is, it's going to be very difficult to censor everything. But um, given the Chinese Communist Party's influence uh, generally and the way that they are pushing uh, a, a line on, on Hamas and on, and on Israel, uh, and the way that uh, people within China in particular will, will follow that and put out material as well. Um, yes, I, I think the, the, the chances are that it's, it is influencing in, in an unhelpful way on a very sensitive topic. Yes, well, because it feeds into this sort of social justice thing that's going on both in the United States and here, where people who are younger tend to be more sympathetic towards Hamas and more sympathetic towards Palestine because they view Israel as part of the kind of the white Western society that they so despise and they want to say uh, has, has been in charge for so long and is responsible for all the ills of the world. And that's very much a movement that started in universities in the States and is now sort of running in the streets here. Yes, but I, I don't think one can, um, you know, lay all that specifically at the door of the of, of the Chinese Communist Party. Oh, no, I'm not Party. doing that. No, I'm just saying it sort of feeds into that general belief. 
Um, yes, yes, it does. Um, but then I think so. So do other other posts on 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 other platforms. So I think if one wants to um, be worried about TikTok, and I think we should, uh, this is just a, a part of it. There are there are other issues as well. Mm. And should we be worried about some of the links that are being made between um, now the new Foreign Secretary David Cameron? Uh, who's come back into the cabinet after several years um, doing all sorts of things, including quite a lot of lobbying uh, for investment in China. Um, are you concerned about that? Well, um, David Cameron is a man of great experience and and um, uh, and, and you know uh, has um, a lot of uh, contacts around the world. So I think he uh, would would be good at the job. But yes, I think um, there are question marks indeed about his China experience. I mean. Most people had woken up to the threat, the geopolitical threat and the aims and ambitions of the Chinese Communist Party well before David Cameron launched his fund on, on UK-China investment, mm. uh, which I find it difficult to uh, put in the category of pushing UK interests. And certainly, uh, I mean, his uh, recent set of speeches are on behalf of uh, Chinese interests you wouldn't put it that way, of course, uh, in, in Colombo and Sri Lanka uh, for, for the port there. I mean, that's this year. And by now, I think we, sh we are all awake to uh, the geopol geopolitical uh, worries that, that China presents. And, and I'm, I'm rather more worried, actually, about the future, because I think this highlights a problem that is um, broader than just David Cameron. And, and that is what ex-ministers and ex-heads of civil service departments do when they retire. So there is a, a committee called the Advisory Committee on Business Appointments, ACOBA, that is meant to police this. But the worry is that if you're uh, at the top of, you're a minister or you're top of the civil service, and in David Cameron's case, he'll only be there, what, probably a maximum of a year, just over a year, um, before he returns to the world of uh, where he came from yeah. and has been in the last few years. And the worry is that in the knowledge that there are lucrative contracts being put out there by, it might be the Chinese, it might be others, are you going to make decisions in, when you're in government in that one year, which are very um, deleterious potentially, or statements which are, which are against what the Chinese government is doing, in the knowledge that might, that might prejudice future contracts and earnings? I mean, that is that is the whole job of, of what ACOBA, this committee, is designed to do, and there are I'm afraid a number of ex-ministers and ex-heads of civil service departments who earn a large amount of money by offering advisory services to the likes of Huawei or Hikvision or, or, or other Chinese companies, which um, uh, we, we need to be much more wary of. So uh, I, I look to, to, to the future, and if nothing else comes out, uh, out of this, I hope that the, um, the, the rules for ACOBA will be looked at very carefully and strengthened and teeth given to it. Well, you'd like to think, given what you've just said there, that Akaba, the committee, would have been asked to look into David Cameron's business links and what he's been doing before he was actually appointed uh, to one of the high offices of state. But it doesn't sound like it from what you're saying. Uh, well, um, again, I think you have to look at the rules of Akaba, and that's why I talk about them needing to be strengthened. Uh, my memory is that it really generally applies to the two years after you've left office. Right. And of course, David Cameron has been out of office far longer than that. Um, but there, then of course lies a question that, that if I remember that correctly, should it be longer than two years? Mm. How long should it be? Yes. Um, so I think, I mean, David Cameron is foreign secretary and, and uh, I, I'm sure he'll do the job very well. But uh, I, I think we need to look to the future um, and make rules now for the future, change those rules, give Akaba more teeth.
Yes, I think that sounds like a very, very good idea indeed. Thank you very much indeed. Charles Parson there, uh, diplomat, uh, former diplomat uh, with his expertise on China there. It does seem remarkable, doesn't it, that David Cameron uh, can leave office as Prime Minister, the most important political job in this country. He can disappear off, go and do some stuff with some uh, companies uh, which may or may not be losing loads of money, which may or may not be doing business with the government, then goes off and does a lot of advising for China and Chinese investors and Chinese companies. And now suddenly he's the Secretary of State for the Foreign Office. For heaven's sake, can't be right, can it? You're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Coming up, uh, as the new Home Secretary vows to honour Rishi Sunak's pledge to stop the boats, we'll assess some new statistics that suggest French police are failing to stop half of migrant channel crossings. That's next. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Yesterday, we were met with yet another Rishi reshuffle that saw the ousting of Suella Braverman as Home Secretary in favour of former Foreign Secretary James Cleverley. Pointed to his experience working with Home Office colleagues on illegal migration, Cleverley has said he is dedicated to halting the dangerous channel crossings as promised. Well, he would say that, wouldn't he? Let's take a listen. It is a genuine privilege to be appointed as the Home Secretary. It is my priority and indeed the priority of the whole government to make sure that everybody, everybody is able to go about their lives in peace and security, driving down crime, particularly illegal migration and tackling those evil people traffickers. We will stop the boats. Right. OK, then. We will stop the boats. We've heard that before a few times, haven't we? So um, here's to discuss whether the new Home Secretary will live up to his promise this time. Uh, how about the Reform Party's Rupert Lowe? Rupert, very good evening to you. Evening, Mike. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well indeed. I'm assuming that every time anybody slides into the Home Secretary's desk, there's a speech there that says, we will stop the boats. We are absolutely determined to stop the boats. We're determined to end this horrible human misery. It cannot go on any longer. Uh, meanwhile, back in the real world, 600 people came over on Sunday, uh, having not been stopped at all by anybody. Well, let me first say, Mike, how delighted I am to join you on the vampire, your new vampire squad <laughs> on the talk TV. Listen, I love it. It's definitely, it's um, definitely uh, where I should be. Um, now, well, James Cleverley, I think he's actually not a bad chap. Uh, but like I always say, uh, I'd rather watch what the hands uh, are doing than hear what the mouth is saying. Yeah. Uh, we've heard the same story from uh, numerous people. And I think really, as I've said before, the government with the will, the right will, can stop uh, this illegal migration. Mostly young men. Yeah. We don't know where they're from. We don't know what their objectives are. And it is becoming extremely destabilizing. So I, I hope that he will uh, pick up the baton and actually deliver what they say they're going to deliver. The, the, the point I have to make, though, is this reshuffling all the time, Mike, creates so much uncertainty and so much mm. sort of dislocation within ministerial uh, sort of ranks. Yeah. And if you look at the number of jobs all these people have, and you look at the qualifications they've got. I mean, Steve Barclay, you know, agriculture and rural affairs, Victoria Atkins, health. I mean, what experience have those yeah. two got of either of either of those uh, of those offices? So, if they haven't got the experience, they're more reliant on our woke 
uh, an increasingly deficient civil service, which without the knowledge to hold them to account, they won't do. And as a result, uh, the British people will be let down again and again, which we have been recently. Well, I said this at the start of the show, you know, basically we deserve better. You know, this country uh, is in a terrible mess and we've been put there for a variety of reasons by a variety of different people. Um, it's hard not to blame the Tories for the last 13 years, uh, having got us to this point. But the trouble is, um, James Cleverly actually was quite a good foreign secretary. You know, people were saying he was getting things done, he was meeting the right people, he was making the right noises, and actually um, he was the best foreign secretary we'd had for a while. So immediately he gets that reputation. They move him. I'm told there was an awful lot of running about from side to side in corridors of the Foreign Office the other day when they found out uh, that suddenly, um, you know, he was moving and they were getting David Cameron instead, a man who has done very little but basically caused one of the biggest problems that the migrant uh, situation faces by blowing the hell out well, of Libya. Couldn't, couldn't agree more, uh, Mike. And, and at the end of the day, let's go back to Suella Brodman. I mean, Suella Brodman uh, was genuinely, I think, vocationally driven to deliver for the British people. Yeah. She became increasingly frustrated if one reads her resignation letter, which uh, I think is perfectly justified. And although Rishi says he's not going to answer any of the questions that she poses in there, he damn well should do. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the day, if he was, if, if people were working for me and they wrote letters like that, I would expect to, 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 to have to answer and, and, and be held to account for what, what's been said. And if what she said in there is true, then clearly there isn't the will to actually stop the boats and there isn't the will to deal with uh, all of the issues that need to be dealt with by a strong government in order to stop this illegal and legal migration, which is undermining the country. And, and I think increasingly Middle England can see that. Well, as, for appointing David, as for appointing David Cameron, I mean, you know, we saw him uh, uh, jumping around on, on the top of tanks during the, what he called the Arab Spring, which ultimately destabilised Libya. Uh, you know, he, he, he ultimately was responsible for that. I mean, it was a disastrous policy. Uh, recently, he's had this Lex Greensill business where, you know, like a lot of retired politicians, uh, he tried to pork barrel a few pounds on the side. Uh, and obviously Lex using his offices to introduce Lex Greensill to or, or a lot of people within government, which again has never been fully ex uh, uh, exposed. That went bankrupt. Uh, and then you know, latterly we've got his contacts in China and even Ian Duncan Smith is now uh, requesting that all the conflicts of interest are put on the table and properly scrutinized. So. What does it say also about other MPs, elected MPs? You know, he won't be in the House of Commons because he's not an MP. What does it say about Rishi Sunak's other MPs within the Commons? Does it mean that they're not fit for any for this job? So I, I think it's a disastrous appointment. Mm. I, I, I mean, without mentioning David Cameron's Brexit catastrophe, where he <laughs> tried to basically tell us that he was, you know, ambivalent and he would... He would, he would recommend the British people voted either way, but in the end sent out a pamphlet at the cost of £9 million that tried to weigh the, the whole uh, referendum in favour of Remain. Yeah. So I, I think he's completely un, unfit for the job. I think it shows how catastrophically uh, unsuited now the Tory party is for government and how unfit Westminster and the civil service are now to really govern Britain properly.
Well, so uh, it's it's not good, is it? It really isn't. I mean, if you read the 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 the, the crux of the letter for me uh, that Sarah Braverman wrote today, she's basically said um, that how clear she was about what he needed to do if he wasn't going to leave the ECHR, if he wanted to stop the boats from coming legally, there would have to be proper legislation, which he hasn't done. Um, she says this, your rejection of this path that I provided you was not merely a betrayal of our agreement, but a betrayal of your promise to the nation that you would do whatever it takes to stop the boats. So she's basically accusing Rishi Sunak of betraying us as much as betraying her and the home office that she was running. She's one of the few ministers, Mike, who I think were genuinely speaking common sense and um, trying to do the right thing. Uh, and I think clearly she reached an agreement with Rishi. Uh, he didn't, uh, she's alleging he didn't honour that agreement. And I think he now has to answer to that. Uh, quite apart from the fact that, you know, she's also saying in that resignation letter that the uh, her comments on policing, which I agree with, I, I, I've said before on your show that people in Britain, the police only police those people who are happy to be policed. Yeah. And if you look at these recent Hamas marches, Hamas is clearly a terrorist organisation. Uh, and at the end of the day, I think for Britain, it's extremely destabilising to have these people marching through the streets and uh, you know, demanding effectively the eradication of the Israeli state. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if, if it was a different situation, for some reason, the sort of establishment is infected by this sort of pro Palestinian virus, which seems to uh, justify them marching through the streets and, and, and demanding genocide, which ultimately, if you, if you believe, you know, you, you talk about from, from the river to the sea, most people who chant that don't know which river it is, probably don't know which sea it is either. But <laughs> at, the end, at the end of the day, uh, it's, that's asking for either, either mass upheaval or mass genocide. And I, I think to allow those marches, I totally agree with Sweller Brahman, they should not have been allowed. And, and I hope that they will stop them. It's extremely de destabilising for all of us. It really is. Absolutely extraordinary stuff. Let's end up, uh, Rupert, with uh, a new poll that's out tonight, uh, breaking news that the uh, Reform Party have got themselves up to 11% for the first time, overtaking the Lib Dems and the Greens. Only eight points now behind the Tories. I mean, I pull, polls are polls, but it's a pretty good sign for you guys. It's great news to break through that 10%, uh, uh, Mike. And I think, as you say, we're only 8% now behind behind the Tories in that latest poll. And Richard Tice told me this evening that we've signed up over 700 new members over the last two days. So uh, we are, I think, gaining momentum. Uh, you know, I'm standing because I think the British people do deserve to have an option to vote for from outside the existing political establishment who are genuinely real people who want to deliver real change, which is going to uh, stabilise and help our country prosper long term. I don't think we're seeing that from the current structure of our government. And if people don't vote for reform, they really can't expect uh, anything other than what they've seen in the recent past, which is, in my view, not good enough. And could you foresee a moment where perhaps somebody like Suella Braverman would say, do you know what? The Conservative Party has now been lost. A lot of people are saying it. Uh, they're never going to get it back. It's always now going to be in the control uh, of the sort of the equivalent of the civil service blob who really don't want anything too upsetting to have to actually deal with. Um, and their managers, their, their, their accountants, they're not interested really in the people. Could you see somebody like Sir Oliver Bravman moving over to reform? 
Well, I, I would embrace uh, somebody like Swella Broadman and I'd embrace, you know, real conservatives from the Conservative Party who want to uh, act as a lightning rod for real change. I, I think we are a platform. We've got some great people, you know, obviously Richard Tice, Ben Habib, lots of my colleagues, and Whitaker, fantastic people. They are standing up for Britain. And it's not always a comfortable thing to do. You, you, you know, there are many what I call left-wing and sort of slightly unhinged lunatics who <laughs> attack us all on social media. Um, but, you know, uh, if, if these days you say a man's a man and a woman's a woman, you, you, you come in for a lot, of, uh, a lot of unnecessary and unfair abuse, Mike. So yes. we're, we're here, we're, we're doing our best, and I think, it, I hope, and it's not just Tory voters, I, I think... We'll be saying the same thing if we see a collection of, you know, Rachel Reeves and Keir Starmer and Angela Rayner. I mean, honestly, uh, are they really equipped? Uh, are they really equipped to, to deal with, with the current complexities of the finances, the, the politics, all of, all of the, the governmental issues that need strong leadership? I mean, these people, most of them haven't governed or run anything. No. Uh, and all they do is swim around in the Westminster cesspit talking rubbish. And, I, you know, just before the reshuffle, I hear the BBC talking about, oh, my usual people have got their phones off. And it, well, frankly, Mike, who cares? Yeah. What we want is some people who actually make decisions that are in the long-term interests of the British people. And really, yeah. the Reform Party is the only party now that offers you the, the chance to vote for somebody from outside the existing political establishment. Yeah. This is a, this is a, we're, we're dining in the last chance saloon, uh, and the Tories are really completely reliant on the economy picking up. Well, if they think the economy is picking up in the next twelve months, they've got to be yeah. smoking. Well, it's not going to be picking strong. up yeah, because of anything they've done. Rupert, got to run. Thank you very much indeed, Rupert Lowe there uh, with his take on why uh, the Reform Party have suddenly jumped in the ratings above uh, the uh, Liberals and the Dem Lib Dems and the Green Party, and only eight points now possibly behind the Tories. We'll take some calls. You're watching the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Coming up, I want to hear from you, so do pick up the phone, uh, do get in touch. Plus, in taking the mic, I'll ask why protesters who openly wave vile racist signs are being allowed to teach our children in our schools. More on that coming up after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. You're watching the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Now it's time for Taking the Mic. Late tomorrow afternoon, it's happening again. Just when you thought it was only Saturdays in London that are being ruined by pro-Palestinian marches, it turns out there's yet another one. And this time, it's Wednesday, outside Parliament. The rally for Palestine comes just two days after Suella Braverman was fired from her job as Home Secretary for daring to tell the truth about the Metropolitan Police, that they are engaged in two different forms of policing, and for supposedly stirring up hatred on the streets of our capital city. This rally will be aimed at demanding MPs vote for a ceasefire inside the chamber of the House of Commons, and it will no doubt bring Westminster to a standstill around the busiest time of the day. It'll prevent people from getting home in rush hour, it'll delay all sorts of journeys into and around London, and we can only hope that it doesn't descend into fights between protesters and police, as it has every other time it's been held. Today we learned that one of the vile racist posters being paraded around on Saturday, which depicted Rishi Sunak and Suella Bravam as coconuts, was being held by a teacher. 
Mariha Mohsen Hussein. She grew up in a two million pound house in Buckinghamshire, the daughter of a dermatologist who came here from Pakistan. Her friends say she doesn't have a malicious bone in her body. So why on earth is she marching with known racists, holding up a racist banner and potentially breaking the law? And more importantly, how many of her views does she share with the children that she teaches? Unfortunately, we now know that she is not alone. Another woman has been sought by the police for displaying a depiction of the Star of David enmeshed with the swastika of Nazi Germany. She works as a therapist for troubled adolescents and was a labour activist in Eastbourne. Heaven only knows what she was thinking. And in yet another case today, the Lawn Tennis Association have sacked council member Wasim Haq after he tweeted out a message saying that Adolf Hitler would have been proud of Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. We are constantly told that those involved in these free Palestine marches are honest, decent people who simply want peace. And that is so clearly not the case that it's becoming laughable. There can be no question where the hate is coming from because it's plain for all to see. Perhaps when I see a banner demanding the release of the more than 200 Israeli hostages held by Hamas terrorists, I'll change my mind. Now, lots of you have been getting in touch, so let's get straight to the calls. John in Northampton, first up on Suella. John, a very good evening to you. Good evening. Yeah, what do you want to say? I just want to say that um, Suella Barberman, um, I think her um, attack on Rishi Sunak is very similar to Jeffrey Howe's attack on Margaret Thatcher. Uh, the dead sheep. I wonder if it could, could be her Jeffrey Howe moment. Well, you never know. I mean, uh, she might well succeed in this attack on uh, Rishi Sunak. It certainly doesn't make him look good. And I think it's a bit more well, substantial, isn't it, than Jeffrey Howe's attack? No, I think so. I mean, she's just pointing out the facts as well. He is basically a very uh, directionless. I mean, it's not so much a rudder as a ship. It's uh, not a ship without a rudder. It's a rudder without a ship. <laughs> I think that's right. The ship's already well, gone down. He's clinging on to the wreckage of it at the moment. Oh, that's very is. good. Yeah, just very well just said. Listen, thanks. We've got to move because we've got to try and squeeze in Les in Newcastle as well. Les, what do you want to tell me? Um, well, I'm discussing about... Um... So well, our problem getting sacked. Yes. Right, but she spoke for the people. Yeah. Right, she spoke for what the people thought. Yeah. And I, I do believe these um, protests should be banned. I think people are going to have to reach that point because you can't just keep having these same protests day in, day out, week in, week out, whenever they feel like having them. It's just not going to work, is it? Listen, thank you very yeah. much indeed, Les. Um, very little time for the calls tonight because we've got so much going on, but we will get more of you on. We will keep taking your views. We have got some great views here as well about um, uh, Sunak and Suella. Suella should quit the Tory party, says Gerald, and join the Reform Party and take all the true Tories with her. And all of you, 89% practically saying, do you agree with Suella Braverman's judgment of Rishi Sunak in her scathing letter? Uh, there's not much of you saying that you don't agree with her because most people, most sensible people will read that letter and go, well, she's accusing the prime minister of this country of betrayal, of not only betraying her, but of also uh, betraying uh, the entire nation. Absolutely extraordinary. You're watching The Independent Republic uh, of Mike Graham. Coming up after the break, Disney disaster. The latest Marvel movie is slammed as being anti-woke. Uh, it's bombing at the box office. Further proof, if any proof was actually needed, if you go broke, uh, if you go woke, you will, in fact, go broke. I'll bring you that story coming up next right here on Talk TV. Do not go anywhere.
Good evening. You're watching the independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk. We're on TV, we're on radio, we're online. And of course, we're on your smart speaker as well. Tonight, Suella Bravman launches a scathing attack on the Prime Minister after he fired her as Home Secretary and she's accused him of betraying her, telling him your plan is not working. Plus, a parole hearing for John Venables, the killer uh, of two-year-old James Bolger, will decide whether he can be released from his latest sentence. An outrage grows against an endometriosis charity. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN that appointed a trans woman as its new CEO. Coming up later on the show, we'll be bringing you a first look at tomorrow's front pages with a great panel. But before anyone else, we've got an exclusive look at a story in the Sun newspaper, which we are going to discuss shortly. And it's a hostage jail cell headline. Uh, it's from Paul Sims, the Sun's man on the Israel-Gaza border. Uh, and it's a shocking picture inside uh, a hospital. And it's called the Al-Rantizi facility. Commandos found the lair beneath the Al-Rantizi facility after locating a tunnel beside the nearby home of one of the terror group's military chiefs. Let's have a look uh, at this video. It's part of the same floor and it slides down here. Uh, it's explosive proof, so it looks like a hard evidence, a clear evidence. Look at what Hamas is holding. I want you to understand, this kind of gear is a gear for a major fight in the massacre of the 7th of October. They even have bullets in this motorcycle. And we can see infrastructures that was built in here. Curtains with nothing above, just wall. No reason to put your... A shocking video that we'll be exploring more of that coming up a little bit later on with Paul Sims, who is the son's man uh, on that border. Uh, we'll bring you more details on that, of course. Now, moving on, um, there's further proof, if proof is still needed. And if you go woke, you go broke. The latest Marvel movie, imaginatively entitled The Marvels, uh, is the 33rd in Disney's so-called Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it's also a huge bomb. Actress Brie Larson plays Captain Marvel and lives up to her name by stinking up the screen like a ripe old cheese. She leads three female superheroes who spend most of the movie bickering with each other in a rather nonsensical adventure that ticks all the woke boxes. Multiculturalism, tick. Uh, faux female empowerment, tick. All men are bastards, tick. Let's take a look. Captain Marvel. The Annihilator. You took everything from me. And now I'm returning the favour. Sure, blimey. Not so marvellous after all, perhaps. Thankfully, my children are old enough not to actually bother with any of that rubbish anymore, so I don't have to sit through it. Uh, so thank goodness for that. You can have your say on that and, of course, everything else on the show uh, on all the socials at Talk TV and on the phones, 0344 
499-1000. The calls will cost you uh, the national rate. Um, now, though, onto something much more serious. James Bolger's evil killer made bid for freedom today in a behind-closed-doors parole hearing. A two-day appeal will determine whether John Benables can be released from jail after he was locked up for possessing sick child abuse images. James Bolger would have been 33 in March, but when he was just two years old, he was snatched from the New Strand shopping centre in Bootle by two 10-year-olds, John Venables and Robert Thompson, who tortured and murdered him on a railway line. November 1993, Venables and Thompson became the youngest convicted murderers in British history. The pair were handed indefinite life sentences, but eight years later, in 2001, they were released on licence with new identities. Thompson has never re-offended, but Venables has been sent back to prison twice, having been caught with images of child abuse on his computer, as well as a paedophile manual. He was convicted in 2017 after admitting to possessing more than 1,100 illegal pictures or photos, including those showing the abuse of male toddlers. Venables was refused parole in 2020. This latest hearing will be held in private by a three-person panel. If released, he will yet again have a chance at freedom with a new identity. But speaking exclusively to Talk Today last month, James Bolger's father, Ralph, broke down as he begged the parole board to keep Venables in jail. What would give you some semblance of peace? Just keep him in. I think you've got to do everything you can to try and keep him behind bars because he's been a danger from day one. He's re-offended. To, to me, I think he enjoys what, he, what he's doing. And he's a second time bomb, just yeah. waiting to go off, in, in my opinion. To discuss this, I'm joined by criminal barrister James Oliveira Agnew. James, very good evening to you. Welcome to uh, the Independent Republic here at Talk TV. Terribly um, emotional interview there with James Bulger's father, and he said, of course, what you would expect him to say. I think a lot of people I, I talk to find it astonishing that the parole board would even ever consider parole for, for such an individual, but particularly after being released twice before. It's pretty ridiculous, isn't it, that he's now up for a third time? Good evening. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. Um, of course, I think everyone of my generation, everyone of sort of, of that age remembers this case vividly. And it's uh, just that little clip you showed there is a horrible, horrible thing to watch. Um, of course, the, the parole board is an independent body. They, they have to be independent. They, they can't be sort of coerced by governments or by MPs or secretaries of state or anything of that nature. And they follow a, a set guideline set down by governments that gives them the framework they have to operate in. And of course, one of those frameworks is that he's entitled to make this parole appeal. He has done so quite rightly, as you've said there, he's been turned down in 2020. Uh, and I think the most important thing in this case is that, you know, listening to Mr. Bolger, there talking on, on you sort of sister program emotive of course uh, and the views of the victims have to be looked at have to be considered and the parole board will do that and i think sort of criminal barristers up and down the country dealing with these sort of cases we're independent judiciary are independent the parole board is independent and that's really the key part of this i think 
Yeah, no, I think I, I get that, and I think most people do. But I think people do worry that they have made some um, curious decisions of late. Colin Pitchfork was another one, uh, double murderer, uh, who was released into a kind of open prison uh, without anybody really knowing about it. And then as soon as he was granted parole, within two weeks, he was hauled back inside again because he was found loitering around um, a school uh, where young women were, were, were attending. And, and you do wonder whether or not the parole board is doing it right, I suppose. I mean, you might tell me that these are, you know, unusually um, sort of rare cases and, and they tend to be high profile and that may well be true. But it just seems to me that they ought to have a better way of dealing with individual cases and, and not treating them as if they're the same as everybody else, because there are some cases which surely deserve special treatment. And I can see that point entirely. I think the the parole board themselves have in recent years perhaps been accused of a lack of transparency. There's obviously got to be a side point to that of saying that these kind of hearings that are held in private, while obviously very emotive for the victims, there is also a public uh, necessity to make sure that those perhaps giving evidence on behalf of the parole board, not necessarily Venables himself, but those prison staff, members of, of the parole service, that they have an element of security as well. But certainly, I think transparency throughout criminal justice is important. Justice has to be seen to be done. Um, and I think there's certainly an argument to say that more transparency throughout this process would be necessary. But of course, as you say, in this case, it's probably one of the more, if not the most horrific, one of the more horrific cases that we all we all look back on and remember. But um, it, it's certainly a case where at the moment we have to let the parole board do their thing. In 2020, they refused uh, and they will look at all of the evidence. They will consider, as they should do the victims, they will consider what everybody says uh, and they'll make that decision. And it's certainly going to be the case that they will have to do that. Uh, and it's a heavy pressure that rests on yeah. them. I know the family um, asked if they could witness the parole board hearing. They were turned down, as were the Times newspaper, uh, who wanted to do it on the basis that it was, you know, something that transparency would uh, benefit from, if you like. Um, but, I mean, the, the, I think the reason given uh, was that there shouldn't be anybody there because it might be detrimental um, to John Venables himself, which I think, again, a lot of people feel slightly weird about, especially considering the government have now just changed the law when it comes to people having to appear at their own sentencing hearings. Yes, and that's, of course, something that we've, uh, certainly the criminal bar have discussed and that we've ha had our own views on whether, again, the safety of dock officers, you know, those people that, that bring defendants to court, whether they are going to be uh, entirely protected by this this new plan the mm -hmm. government has to, to drag people to court. But certainly in terms of the parole board, while you can see on the one hand how this circumstance would be such, and, and I've heard what what the, the, the family say that, of course, you know, Venables will know where they are and what they're doing. But I think the obvious answer is that there has to be at this point, and, and while it is it leaves a bitter taste in the mouth, we do still have a duty of care. Um, you know, the criminal justice system, criminal barristers represent defendants that have done horrible things. Judges sentence them, parole boards deal with them. There, there is certainly still an element where we have to protect those people. But also, as I say, the people in the parole board, perhaps those who are giving evidence on behalf of, of Venables, you know, there, there is that that has to be taken into account. Um, and of course, whether or not given that the court made an order for his anonymity, whether that's right or wrong. Um, the court did do that. 
he has been given that for life. Um, there is obviously an argument about that, but the courts, the parole board are bound by that decision uh, and do owe a duty and do have to protect that. And so while it obviously leaves a very bitter taste in the mouth, we do have to follow guidelines and procedures and principles. And as I say, it's important that that is independent and it's important we see sometimes when the government steps in uh, and makes these laws, it's those of us that work in the system that have to sort of clean up that mess. But uh, we, we we follow that procedure and that guideline, and that's where this case is. James, thanks very much indeed. James Oliveira Agnew, their criminal barrister, uh, on day two coming up of the James Bolger uh, killer's parole hearing. And it may well be, and you can only hope, the parole board uh, will turn him down for release. Penny says, no adult who murders a child should be given parole. Also, no juvenile who commits murder should ever be released. If they could murder someone as a kid, then that evil belongs uh, where it stays. It should never be set loose back on society. Steph says the same. No, never under any circumstance should a child murderer be given parole. And Jennifer says, I'd go so far as to say that anyone who murders anyone intentionally um, should not get parole. Very strong feelings, I think, for most people uh, watching this show uh, and following that story, because nobody could really understand uh, how any uh, sane individual could recommend that John Venables be given parole at this point in his life. Next, though, going back to the Israel-Hamas conflict, as Israel forces are gearing up to storm Hamas tunnel networks to rescue hundreds of hostages, attempts to secure the release of the 239 Israelis and foreigners held in the underground maze are growing ever more critical as the ground operation in Gaza intensifies. Joining me live now from Jerusalem to discuss this is senior reporter for The Sun, Paul Sims. Paul, really appreciate you staying up this late to talk to us. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, piece in the paper tomorrow, um, an incredible um, piece of journalism, hostage jail cell, a picture uh, of this grim discovery of tunnels, a chair uh, with rope which was used to tie captives inside of a kid's hospital. All of the things that we've been told that were true, uh, you've managed to find them. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Well, I say I, I haven't found them. The Israeli Defence Forces found them. Um, they've essentially, they, they've, they've gone pushing further into Gaza City itself. They've gone towards the, uh, the Rantisi Hospital um, and they found a tunnel that was close to a property that was owned by a naval commander within Hamas. They, you can see on the picture there that uh, they found the tunnel entrance. They've gone down into that tunnel and then below the Rantisi hospital, they've discovered this basement that Hamas was using to stockpile weapons. You can see AK-47s, RPGs, grenades and suicide vests. Um, there's also the, the motorbike that you can see in the picture there, which is riddled with bullets. Yeah. They believe that motorbike was used to spirit some of the hostages over from the uh, Israeli side back into Gaza and obviously beneath the ground into the labyrinth of tunnels. And the, the image that you've just seen there as well is that they, they believe that some of the videos of the hostages were filmed in that basement below the, the Rantisi hospital. Right. And like you say, Mike, the, the Israeli Defence Force have said all along that the hospitals are being used as human shields by Hamas. Hamas have denied it consistently throughout this war. This, I think the Israeli Defence Forces will say, is the smoking gun. Yeah. And do they know or, or could they hazard a guess as to uh, how recently um, Hamas have been there and, and, and more importantly, maybe how recently the hostages have been there? No, I don't think they can. I think it's very difficult to, to know 
how recently they were there. Obviously, the war now has been going on for 39 days. Tomorrow will be uh, the 40th day. Um, it, it, what I think it demonstrates is that they are closing in on Hamas and closing in on um, on trying to track down and recover uh, the, those hostages that were taken on October the 7th. They, they've got an extremely difficult job on their hands. I was in Gaza last week, and what they're trying to do is identify and dig up the tunnels that are below Gaza City and northern Gaza. What they're trying to do is, is, is identify where they are, collect as much intelligence as possible that then may lead them to the hostages, but also to cut the head off the snake of Hamas. The difficulty they've got is that Hamas have kind of laid this moral dilemma at their door that when they go towards the tunnels and they identify these tunnels, they, uh, they're, they're heavily booby-trapped, so they blow the tunnels up, which then reduces their opportunities and chances of actually trying to find the hostages who are below. So the, one of the stories that we've, we've got in tomorrow, which is an exclusive, is that we understand that a deal is very, very close now between Hamas and the Israeli government for the return of 80 hostages. Um, in, in exchange, the Israelis have agreed to hand over a, a number of Palestinian women and children who are incarcerated in Israeli jails. jails. But to facilitate that exchange, what they'll have to do is have a humanitarian kind of pause in the war for about four or five days. Right. And that's obviously something that the Israelis up to now uh, have said they would not consider doing. Um, but interesting that, that you say that because it's, it's clear as well that it's not just Hamas that are now involved because I believe Islamic Jihad also holds some hostages mm -hmm. and there are some other hostages held by even more disparate groups of people. So it's not clear whether Hamas can speak for all of the hostages being held? It's an extraordinarily complicated situation, as you can imagine. Uh, our understanding is that about 180 hostages are held by Hamas. Uh, we understand a further 40 are held by the Palestinian Jihad, uh, and the remaining hostages are held by loosely described as gangs. Mm. Um, so it's, it's a question of trying to locate where they are, there is intelligence from the Israelis that they believe some of the hostages are, believe, are beneath um, the Al-Shifa uh, the, the, the Al uh, hospital uh, in northern Gaza, which is why they've surrounded that hospital. So not only do they believe that it's a, um, a headquarters for Hamas, they believe that some of the hostages are also below ground. That's why they're not moving and that's why they're not bowing to international pressure. And what they've tried to demonstrate through the Al-Rantisi Al hospital is that Hamas have been using these public buildings, these civilian buildings, schools, hospitals, mosques, as human shields. Yeah, I mean, it's a terrible, terrible situation. Paul, um, great story. Thank you very much indeed. Paul Sims there reporting in uh, from Jerusalem. The, executive, uh, the um, exclusive story in The Sun tomorrow. We'll talk more about it uh, as we do the paper review later on, uh, in which a deal may be underway. Hostage talks could see up to 80 Israelis released uh, in return for a brief halt in the fighting. But an astonishing story as well, uh, uncovered by the Israeli Defence Force, that the kids' hospitals, as the Israelis have been saying, are being used, have been used uh, as holding cells, holding pens 
not only for weaponry, not only for suicide vests, but also for some hostages um, as well. Let's go to the United States of America now and get the view uh, from there. We're going to talk to Joe Walsh, former congressman uh, and presidential candidate, of course. Joe, very good evening to you. Welcome uh, to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, nighttime version, uh, so we can be even more spicy than we were the last time. Um, You've been very uh, vociferous uh, on your side of the Atlantic there about the need to support Israel. Um, There's an awful lot of propaganda going on uh, at the moment, as you know. We, like you, have got constantly um, uh, Palestinian, pro-Palestinian marches going through our cities. Um, People are asking the question, are uh, Hamas winning the propaganda war? Finally, we've got some evidence that it is true that Hamas are using hospitals uh, as uh, and people in, in those hospitals as human shields. Hey, Michael, always good to be with you. Um, hey, look, look the, the facts and the truth uh, are, are not going to matter to Israel haters. I, I mean, you and I know, know this. This is no, this is no uh, uh, surprise. Hamas, for 17 years, Michael, Hamas has made their civilian infrastructure and their terror infrastructure one and the same. So their military headquarters, and they've got a compound underneath all of their hospitals in Gaza, no surprise. But again, Michael, the world and America, uh, full of Israel haters, anti-Semitic Jew haters, and they're not going to believe any of the truth. Right. And why do you think this is happening in the way that it is happening? Because it seems to me it's being fed by, you know, and all of educational establishments. We've got the social justice movement. We've got, we've got, I was reading an interesting piece by Andrew Sullivan at the weekend uh, where he was talking about the kind of ownership now of the word genocide, you know, ownership of certain words, accusing Israel of doing things, you know, uh, incredible numbers of people marching through London and New York and I presume Washington DC as well, calling for a ceasefire, calling for, from the river to the sea. I mean, I, is, has, has there always been this anti-Semitism and is it now just showing its face? Well, look, Michael, and maybe you and I would go at it a little bit. I like it when you and I go at it. <laughs> uh, the uniquely ugly and dangerous aspect of anti-Semitism is that it's found on the right and the left. Yeah. And we, during the age of Trump here in America, we've been bombarded by some ugly anti-Semitism on the right. Um, But I'll tell you what, the past 39 days have woken up the Democratic Party in America that they got a problem in their own house. There is rampant anti-Semitism on the left. The Democratic Party, Michael, is divided. And look, Biden's stance supporting Israel, that's going to hurt him politically with his own base. Yeah. We have the same problem, Labour Party, here, because you've got um, Sir Keir Starmer, who's now the leader, um, saying that there should not be a ceasefire, but he is in favour of a sort of humanitarian break. But he's holding that line in the same way as the government here is and Biden is. But his predecessor, Jeremy Corbyn, uh, was on with uh, Piers Morgan last night. I don't know if you've seen that clip uh, doing the rounds. It's already gone viral, refusing 25 times to say whether he thinks Hamas are a terrorist organisation. Unbelievable. You know what, though, Michael, here's the thing. Jeremy Corbyn, let's just call it out for what it is. He does not believe Hamas is a terrorist organization, plain and simple. And by the way, he's said as much years ago. So I don't think he believes they are. And he was afraid to say that. But that's endemic in the left. 
do you see the, the sort of the public mood changing? Because, I mean, I, what I hear from people in this country is that you get outside of London, you get outside most of the major cities, people are not talking about this in the same way. Um, the, the kind of the, the multi-ethnic mix of our cities is not repeated in other parts of the country, more rural parts of the country. You know, this is very much a city-driven, young person-driven, left-wing-driven thing at the moment. Um, do you see that stopping? Do you see it changing? Uh, and, and it's pretty much the same here, Michael, and it's a campus-driven thing. The uh, urban uh, America and young people and the intellectual elite on the left believe that Israel is some evil occupier. Most Americans don't feel that way. Look, th but this always happens, right, my friend? Mm. You and I knew this would happen. The minute Israel responded to that butcherous terrorist attack, we knew what was going to happen. It's, it's Hamas's CNN strategy, right? Show the images of all of their human shields, and the world generally is going to sympathize with them. Mm. That's still the case now. And unfortunately, most of the world is still sympathizing with the Palestinian people. Look, you and I support the Palestinian people, but, but not Hamas. Yeah. Israel has always had to deal with this. They really have. And, and we can only hope that there will be some chink of light shining soon uh, for something yeah. to, to break in it. Um, Joe, great to talk to you again. Thank you very much indeed. Joe Walsh there uh, from the US of A, former congressman and presidential candidate uh, as well. We'll get back to having a row soon, I'm sure. Um, that was very good natured for the two of us. We didn't disagree really much about anything. Uh, you're watching The Independent Republic uh, of Mike Graham. Coming up, a royal biographer, Angela Levin, will join me as Prince Harry dodges his own father's birthday. That was today. Plus, get this, a trans woman has been appointed as the head of a charity that helps women suffering from endometriosis. More on that coming up next. Don't miss it. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. It's a joyous moment for the nation, uh, apparently, as King Charles turns 75, extending an olive branch on the occasion is Prince Harry, apparently, uh, who's going to be making a transatlantic phone call to wish his dad a very happy birthday. Uh, I find it all a bit strange that news of Harry's call was leaked to the press. I wonder who did that. But anyway, uh, here's a sweet little moment of well wishes, singing the King happy birthday. It was a simpler time. That was before the letter came out. Um, now, it was a time as well when uh, Prince Harry said that his father didn't actually take any calls from him. So to discuss this particular transatlantic phone call with me, Royal Biographer Angela Levin uh, joins me now. Angela, very good evening to you. Thanks very much for, for joining us. I'm glad you always take our call. We will take yours. Um, I thought <laughs> Harry wasn't talking to his dad these days. How, how's, how's that changed? Oh, I don't know that it has been changed. I mean, it's very easy to um, get somebody unknown to say that to the press. Um, I don't think that Harry would have t talked to his father. Um, you see, he, um, King Charles doesn't use a mobile, and so you have to go through all the aides and people like that. Right. And I don't think on his birthday he would want someone who would start shouting at him and telling them that he still resents how they treated Meghan and they wanted apologies. Um, that's what they've done in the, the last 
couple of years, and I don't think they would want it. Um, the other reason is that it's very strange for somebody like Harry, who fights for his privacy, to actually tell the world that he's going to call his mm. father. I mean, if, if it's such a big deal, I, I think he would keep it quiet and ring him and it would be soft and gentle. But to, to make that announcement is actually shows his hypocrisy yet again. And it makes no sense no. to me at all. I think the only reason he could have done it is that he's very, very concerned about where he is in the popularity boost as well as Megan and the new um, PR who's been helping Megan that you've got to be positive, you've got to be friendly, you've got to be upbeat. Um, and maybe he did this so that he would get on the papers again and everyone would say, oh, isn't that wonderful? It's all going to be right. I don't think it's going to change anything or has changed anything. No, I don't think so. I mean, the next time we see him, he'll be in another court case with some of the newspaper when he's trying to get uh, his privacy uh, quietened down again after he's invaded everybody else's. What about his visa application? That apparently should be kept quiet as well, um, according to people yes. in, in America. What's, what's going on with that? It's been, it's been quite complicated because America is saying, well, he's not an American citizen. He's an English citizen. So that's sort of a bit different. And English people now leave it up to America because Harry's been there for ages. Why isn't he um, a citizen? That's very strange. Mm. Um, but also they say that if they're not taking the drugs immediately now, they can be forgiven. And I think there's an argument about whether Harry is still taking drugs or he's stopped. They forgive people who've given yeah. up. So um, it's well, one of, of these things... Well, of course, it's legal, isn't it? I mean, he, he can smoke as much dope as he wants in, in California because it's not illegal. Some of the things. I don't believe he can um, do cocaine. No, probably but, not. Um, yeah, but other drugs he's fine with. Um, and so they just leave him alone. But I think the balance of whether he's going to be... Um, a member of the United USA is is strange, really. It, nothing's happening on it. No, it is interesting because he should be paying tax there at some point as well. I lived there for 10 years and they don't let you live there for long before they start charging you tax and you have to pay it yeah, whether you're a citizen or not. Maybe that's what he wants from his dad. <laughs> <laughs> Another five million quid. Very possibly yeah. so. Um, Angela, good yeah. to talk to you. We haven't got very long tonight, I'm afraid. There's lots to get on with. But thank you very much indeed, Angela Levin, there, uh, on the occasion of King Charles's 75th birthday. Um, you're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here uh, on Talk TV. It's now time for this. The World of Work. There's nothing like the charity sector of our economy if you want to see how the worst of wokery inflicts itself on organisations and people who run them. We already know the NHS is riddled with woke ideology, calling pregnant women people for fear of misgendering them and asking six-year-old men if they're expecting a baby. But today I bring you a slightly different area of madness. Ladies and gentlemen, I bring you the Endometriosis South Coast Charity. Endometriosis is a horrible condition that causes women who suffer from it chronic pain. It happens when tissue similar to the lining of the womb grows outside the uterus. Without wishing to get too medical here, it affects the fallopian tubes and the ovaries, and it can be severely debilitating. Men don't know what it feels like because they don't have wombs or ovaries or fallopian tubes. But to the ESC charity, none of that matters because they've just appointed a trans woman as their new chief executive. And it goes without saying that Steph Richards doesn't have any of those bodily parts but when announcing the appointment with his picture, a caption read, isn't it ridiculous that I've got to my 40s before any medical professionals even mentioned endometriosis? 
Ridiculous, isn't it? It doesn't even cover it. That is the world of woke. The world of woke. Now, here we are, back with the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. And now a Tory civil war is looming uh, on the horizon as Suella Braverman defends against Rishi's reshuffle offensive. She's gone scorched earth with a blistering letter attacking Rishi's weak leadership. Someone call a medic because he's certainly wounded. And I'm now joined by my panel uh, for the night, journalist Georgia Gilholy, Deputy Political Editor with the Sun, Ryan Savey, and Political Commentator Emma Wolfe. Welcome to all of you uh, on a pretty auspicious night for news, it has to be said. Um, let me start with you, Emma, because we were going to say today, well, I wonder what the fallout's going to be from Suella Braverman and when she's going to say the things that she says she's going to say. Well, we didn't have to wait long. This letter is amazing. Isn't it? I, I could reread this letter again and again and again. And then, and then the front pages come up. I know we're not talking about them yet, but the front page of the Daily Mail has a photo of Suella leaving her house looking so happy, yeah. so cheeky, so she's loving her life. And this letter, as a writer, I know this letter is far too long. As a, as a leaving letter to the, to the PM, it's too yeah. long. But it's not. There's so much. Every time you reread it, it just gives more. It's the yeah. gift that keeps on giving. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's full of, it's full of, well, it's full of uh, that dagger blows to the back and all of that stuff. But it's also full of really important information yeah. about just how dysfunctional their relationship mm. was. It raises questions, really serious questions about, well, obviously, Sunak's future. But also, why were they working together when mm. they were literally, the Home Secretary and the Prime Minister, were clearly had a totally dysfunctional relationship yeah. in terms of the priorities, in terms of the very, very important priorities right. uh, for this country. It sounds, and it sounds as though um, he was... By and large, ignoring her. I mean, Magical Ryan, thinking. Yeah, I mean, if 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 Sunak thought that he would move her off the front pages by appointing David Cameron, it's rather backfired a bit, hasn't it? Yeah, totally. I think that lasted for about 12 hours, and yeah. then we're straight back into Suella Braverman. She was choosing a moment for maximum impact, and she's absolutely done it. Mm. Tomorrow morning, you have the Rwanda. Um, announcement as well. She's timed it to try and grab that sort of yeah. overnight sort of headline. So um, and she seems to have done a pretty good job. Um, she, she released this letter at about five o'clock this evening, straight onto the newspaper headlines, which everyone's going to be talking about mm. all night. And it's just the language. They say as a journalist, never waste a word. Yeah. She certainly hasn't wasted a word in this 1300 word letter. Yeah. Talks about betrayal of the prime minister, not living up to his promises. And they struck a deal. Right. The only way that um, she, she claims that, uh, that um, she gave her, her support to him during that leadership campaign is they struck a deal. Mm. Uh, things about he would get rid of the, the Brexit laws. He would stick to his immigration mm. plans. And she says he hasn't, she, he hasn't stuck to that. But you wonder why. There's lots of things in there that um, she says that Rishi Sunak hasn't stuck to. Why is it taking her so long? Why didn't she walk out the door? Because yeah. she could have done. Well, she could have done. Georgia, I guess uh, there are those who will say this is her kind of first shot fired uh, as claim to be the new leader. You see it that way, or do you see it just as uh, taking revenge? Um, I think, of course, on some of the issues, I understand why she's passionate. I would agree with her on some of the issues. Doesn't necessarily mean she's leadership material, and it doesn't necessarily mean that the Conservative Party is is the party to lead the country. And I think also there's obviously the old phrase, you know, the person who um, wields a knife never usually wears the crown. I think that could be the case for Suella. I think also, when it comes to reduce immigration. There are, you know, majority of the public is behind that, really. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they find as well a problem particularly likable. Also, the focus on the small votes. I understand why that's a huge issue. And obviously we have, you know, the Supreme Court decision coming out tomorrow. But the reality is, you know, last year we had 600k net migration. Vast majority of that is not to do with the small boats. Right. It's illegal migration. It's a deliberate decision by the government. I think 
raising that um, more highly, focusing on that should have been her priority. I understand why the small bits issue is, I suppose, something more. But she says in the letter that he promised, Mm. I think uh, this is right, he he said, she says in the letter that he promised to reduce uh, the numbers of people coming on on student visas and on the work visas, which is a large part of that. I mean, he promised a lot of things. But this is the thing. (laughs) So if she's saying that, look, I talked to you about this, I told you what what you should do, you didn't do any of it. Can I just tell you, when she goes for the jugular, in her third paragraph, she says, despite you having been rejected by a majority <laughs> of party... This is great. She does, she's just, you know, kindly reminding him. Yeah. Despite you having been rejected by a majority of party members during the summer leadership contest, and thus having no personal mandate to be prime minister, mm. by the way, uh, he's absolutely brilliant. And I love... I don't know about her. I know about her becoming prime minister, even though it seems unlikely because she's not been a popular... Or, sorry, becoming the leader of the party. Yeah. Um, certainly not Prime Minister, um, even though she's not been a popular figure, I think it might be one of those moments when someone just comes to the fore. Because I think over the past week, actually, since her since her letter about policing, since her article about policing and the wokery and the nonsense there um, in The Times, people love Suella. People who didn't like her much, yeah. I didn't like her much, are saying this woman knows whereof she speaks. Well, she does I speak for a lot of people. I think she's risen on a wave and she's she going does. for it. Ryan, you're, you're in and out of the Westminster bubble all day. I mean, what are you hearing? What are people saying? Um, it seems like there's a split in the Tory party for those who are feeling like they have to back Sunak because he's their leader, but those who still think that Suella Pravin was right. Yeah, there is. Uh, speaking to one Tory MP on the, on the right, right wing of the party, he really says that Sunak, with the way that he dealt with that cabinet, appointed David Cameron, he's almost trying to, to purge the right of the party. And when it comes to tomorrow with this Supreme Court judgment, if it goes the wrong way for the government, you're going to get a swell of Tory MPs calling to leave the, this European Convention of Human Rights. And they all go for Rishi Sunak pretty hard yeah. and hold his feet to the fire and try and at least get some sort of derogation or some sort of exit clause um, to at least ignore those those asylum cases, which was what Suella Braverman was asking for. Yeah, exactly. Right, and now, now they have someone to unite around, don't they? They really have a figurehead. Yeah, no, totally. And uh, it, I think whether she becomes leader or not, depends on which MPs come back after the next election. Yeah. Are they going to be from the left of the party or the right of the party? But you are going to have a candidate emerge from the right. It's either going to be probably Suella uh, Braverman or Kemi Badenoch, yeah. and they're going to be up against uh, one of the on, on the left wing of the party, whether that's Penny Mordaunt or uh, perhaps Gillian Keegan yeah. to, to come from. It's the same old problem, isn't it, though? Civil war all over again, Georgia. I mean, we've got now uh, a poll tonight in which it shows that uh, reform for the first time are up to 11%, um, only eight points behind the Tories, which could be pretty disastrous for them, even more so. Now 30 points behind Labour. I mean, is there any hope for them, as far as you can see? Um, I think with first-past-the-post, smaller parties will always have you know, a hard time, even though, of course, you know, in the lead up to Brexit, we obviously had lots of um, people voting UKIP, which sort of put pressure on the Tories. But we could have a situation where Labour go into coalition with the Lib Dems, something along those lines. They are pressured to enact proportional representation. That will completely change our political system forever. Mm. And I think, actually, it will, in the long term, probably boost more populist, more right-wing parties, especially if issues like immigration seem to sort of go, you know, unsolved. Yeah, I mean, they're talking about possibly having the same number of votes as UKIP did that time when they only won one seat and they were all moaning that, you know, they had a much bigger share of the vote than they actually got at the end of the day. But but one thing, if you're the Conservatives, you would worry about, particularly in those marginal seats, so it's a Lib Dem-facing seat or you are are up against Labour, if you only have 2 or 3% peel off towards that Reform Party, you can lose a hell of a lot of seats very, very quickly. 
Absolutely right. Emma, a lot of people have been uh, messaging into us tonight saying that Suella should just leave the Tory party, go and join reform and start a new kind of, you know, stronger right wing party and leave the Conservatives well, I mean, drown in their own mediocrity. Fun of the time, she's wearing a bright red suit. So it looks like she's definitely leaving the true <laughs> blue party. I mean, that that suit is a colour. It is. Message, it is. Is that a message? message? Is that a sort of is that a sort of womanly thing to do then? To wear a colour to go? This is what I'm doing. She thinks about her clothes. She mm. thinks about what she puts on, especially at this at this stage. And she she just looks relieved and happy and liberated. She looks like the the woman who's left a very very unhappy marriage. And Rishi Sunak, I mean, is is the bad guy in this. DB says Sunak is a fearful hypocrite who nobody will hopefully remember in 50 years. He was scared of facing the truth, and these people aren't usually appreciated long term. Uh, well said, Sue Ellis says Les. We all know none of the two main parties want to stop illegal uh, migrants or reduce legal migrants. So what does Rishi Sunak do um, about this, Ryan? Does he does he respond to it? Does he pretend it wasn't there? He's going to get hit at Prime Minister's questions it's, presumably it's, tomorrow. Totally, but he will say. You know, you, were, you know, if he didn't sack her, he'd get accused of being weak. He's actually done something yeah. about it. But this sort of... It, it, lots of people say the Conservatives, they're going to yeah, lose... But he cancelled it out. He cancelled yeah. it out. He got rid of Suella and they brought it... I mean, he, back, he did it. Back, In fact, yes. it wasn't a cancelling yeah. out. It was a... Sorry. Yeah, no. It was a double whammy. Yeah. It was awful. Got rid of Suella. Right. Who is advising... We know that Rishi Sunak's political judgment is basically zero. Right. But who... Does he not have political advisers around him? I think he does. Can see, but, yeah, but they but, don't know okay. anything. No, no, but they're saying this is really good. This is a really good strategy. We'll bring back David Cameron. But do they not have advisers who also kind of wargame it and say, but what if the alternative scenario? What if it wasn't so good? It really is alarming yeah. that he doesn't have people kind I, of I'm not sure thinking about well, the alternative country. I think they've worked out. There's a calculation going on in Downing Street right now by bringing... By, by getting rid of Suella Bravo and bringing David Cameron, those Tory up against Lib Dem seats, you've got more of a chance of winning. And they think they can just be a bit of a more of an assured position. But that's their calculation. Yeah. It, may, it may unravel very, very quickly. I think it will. But you look at Rishi Sunak over the, over the, over the coming 10 days. You've got the Rwanda decision tomorrow that could go his way, or some of it could go his way. But inflation figures out that should hit his target yeah. of reducing inflation by half. Um, and next week, you could have an autumn statement that could be relatively successful. So it's one of those pivotal moments. Yeah. It's quite a big moment, isn't it? Because those three things could either sink him uh, or get him to actually get to the next stage, which is basically beyond Christmas at this point. I mean, I think that's how serious it is for him. I think it is. And speaking to MPs tonight um, over in the House of Commons, what you don't want to do, you only need 53, I think it's maybe 56 um, MPs to put letters in before mm. there's a vote of confidence. Here we what go you, again. What Here you, we go what, again. What the letters are starting. Absolutely. What you don't want to do is stumble into that because there's a vote of confidence. He will win it, but he'll be severely damaged. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, stay with us, you three, because we've got more to come. We've got a proper look at the front pages and some other stories going on uh, as well. You're watching The Independent Republic uh, of Mike Graham. And we'll be back right after this. Welcome back. You're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. My panel uh, are still here. Ryan Sabre from The Sun, Emma Wolfe, of course, uh, and Georgia Gilholy as well. Um, front page is all pretty obviously on um, Suella. Um, Daily Mail, we had a deal and you broke it, Suella tells PM. A rather sort of 
interesting picture which has been taken and appears on all the front pages, doesn't it? It's like a sexy picture. Looking it's kind a bit, of, I was going to say coquettish. A bit walk of shame, like when you're leaving your lover's house at like yeah. six in the morning, right. wearing your party dress. She looks yes. a little bit kind of... She's smiling. Must up. She's smiling. Yeah. Uh, that's the that's the Daily Mail you're looking at there. Uh, the, the the mirror takes a slightly different view. Uh, they say the Tories are revolting. I think they've written that headline before. Um, the Times is quite hard, isn't it? PM lied to me and betrayed Britain, which is uh, pretty much it in a nutshell. Because her, I think her attack on him for betraying Britain is worse than yeah. her attack on him for betraying her. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and the way she says, you know, you made all these promises, but you literally weren't, either you weren't able to do them because of your unique style of government, yes. or you're just totally incompetent. Yeah. yeah. That's quite Definitely the deep blue sea. What's the yeah. sun uh, saying? Sun tomorrow is uh, Suella and Rishi at war. You know, right. she, she really goes for it. Um, and, the, and, and part of um, there it the, is. the copy there. Look who's talking. Uh, oh, they've got, oh, they've got um, a bit oh, of, right. of Harry as well. Fight Suella war on PM, but we'll come back to Harry in a second. But what, one of the, one of the, in, in in the copy there, um, we talk about um, a brand new group, the the, the New Conservatives, yeah. and they're saying by bringing back David Cameron, what Rishi Sunak did uh, um, yesterday is that he's alienating those voters who voted for the Conservatives for the first time in 2019. He's moving away from that, yeah. and that's what they're really really angry about. Yeah, um, I was talking to a Labour special advisor yesterday who said they've given up on Sunderland and they're going for Surrey. That's, that's so exactly they've given right. up on the yeah. red wall. Yeah. But that's a pretty big thing to do and try and win the general election. Well, interesting. On that point, they have bought Richard Holden, who is uh, the Tory, now the Tory party chair. He's got the seat up in northwest, uh, in northwest Durham. They've also got Rishi Sunak. Obviously, he's got that seat in, uh, in, north, in north Yorkshire. In Yorkshire yeah. So you do wonder. They may think they've got that, you know, not in the bag, but they think they've got that mm. covered. So by bringing Dave, David Cameron, it just opens another front for them to try and win support. Mm. What, in the Cotswolds? I mean, that's not yeah. enough. I don't think yeah. it will be. Georgia, um, the home counties, enough for them to win? Um, if you mean when the general election, absolutely not. No. I think unless, short of some sort of miracle, we know that's not going to happen right. going forward. We know it's not going to happen. Um, I mean, I think, you know, when it comes to these kinds of decisions, there's... Um, an eagerness from just people and the media to try and think, oh, this is part of some grand strategy, you know, mm. it's for this this plan, that plan. I think the reality is at the moment there's a lot of chaos going on. There's no real plan. I say at the moment, it's been going on, it's been going on for a while. Looks like it hasn't been for a while. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> yeah. right. Revenge Serve Hot is the front page of the eye. Let's just go back to the Sun front page there for a minute because they've got what I was talking to Angela Levin about, um, the fact that Prince Harry has made the call. Uh, to his father, King Charles, whose 75th birthday. Um, it seems an odd one, doesn't it? Look who's talking, it says, Charles' birthday call from Harry and Meghan. I mean, you know, Meghan talking to Charles, is quite, quite a big deal, that. Yeah, this is someone who wasn't allowed to go up to, up to Balmoral when, yeah. um, you know, as, as, the queen, as the Queen died uh, uh, last year. But not only do you hope that Charles does repair relationships, relationship with Harry, but it's also the two brothers get back and privately mm. get their relation back 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 on track because yeah. it, you know it's desperate for you know it's, it's sad for us to see and you hope for the sake of the nation that they can actually you know look how close they were over the, they over, used to over, be terribly close. not for some time um, moving away from all of that um, front page of the metro um, this is a very um, terrible story when it happened um, and this is the ice hockey um, player who was killed on the ice because his throat was slashed by a skater and the skater's actual skate. Um, 
and it happened um, when he was playing for the Nottingham Panthers, Adam Johnson. Um, but it now looks as though the police have arrested a man on suspicion of manslaughter because he clashed with his uh, his opponent, Matt Petgrave. Um, but I guess, I mean, that's going to change the way the sport is looked at, isn't it? I think it'll change the way a lot of sports will be mm. looked at. You look at um, rugby, there's certainly you know, a lot of injuries. You, you see uh, rugby players with, with back injuries yeah. or head injuries. Um, th- this instance, the police have, have obviously got the... The, the video footage and they feel that they're, they're duty bound to investigate. So you yeah. feel like they will go through every single motion right. um, until until they get to, yeah. get to the truth. So far, they just arrested somebody. So we'll see where that all goes. Also in the sun, um, George, I don't know whether you um, follow the Russell Brand revelations, but the BBC have say, say they've had five complaints against Russell Brand, a report has revealed. Um, two people raised concerns when Brand was a radio host from 2006 to 2008 uh, and again after he quit. This story's gone a bit quiet up to now, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, the reality is the news cycle's been taken over by a lot of arguably more important issues. Yeah. But I think when it comes to issues like this, you know, we've had lots of scandals over the past decade and also over the past year. Um, I think people probably are getting a little bit fed up of, um, you know, wall-to-wall coverage of, say, like the Philip Schofield issue, the Hugh Edwards thing. But I think if it's someone who's high profile, I think it's important to cover it, obviously, especially someone who is a well-loved celebrity by a lot of people. But I think, is anyone really surprised at this point that the BBC has not responded adequately to a scandal to do with possible sexual impropriety? I mean, they oversaw the horrific abuse of Jimmy Savile. They were in part enabling of that. Um, And it's not just the BBC, you know, lots of institutions in politics and media, unfortunately, this is the situation of someone that is very high profile. There is, you know, power associated with that and people can suffer. And I think, you know, you hope that, you know, the truth comes out and that people Mm. face justice. But, you know, unfortunately, you know, these kind of things do happen and probably things like this have happened that no one's even ever found out about. Will Russell Brand be the one who kind of survives this, do you think? Well, I mean, he's already made a huge amount of money, you know, in the interim between between now and then on his YouTube channel and stuff. Um, Well, I think what's interesting about this is that these five complaints were actually made during the time that he was on air. That's the BBC's You know, they're not all of a sexual nature. Yeah, Yeah. these are the five BBC complaints. But that's um, the BBC's problem. In pretty damning, way, pretty damning that they weren't really taken seriously, yeah. that they were kind of, I think, filed and, you know, not really investigated yeah. properly and whatever. Um, but, yeah, it sounds like, to me, it sounds like this man was out of control. Yeah, but the BBC were watching it. And Literally. Allowing it well, to go on. And he was making jokes. He exposed himself, allegedly exposed mm. himself to a woman, and then a few minutes later on air said, I just showed my willy yeah. to a lady. Right. You know, so there were... There was, it, it, was wasn't, quite, it wasn't like even hiding in plain it wasn't sight. Hidden. It was doing it in, on, on broadcast. And in BBC Amazing. cars and in, yeah. you know, Amazing. all sorts. Let's finish up with, with a story about dogs and or pets because the Times has got a great one. Find your pet hates with Mystic Mog. Um, and apparently this is a woman who's a former property lawyer, uh, Nikki Vasconez, um, who basically says that she uh, can tell you exactly what your animals are thinking as long as you give her $550. I can tell you what my animal would be thinking. He'd be going, why are you giving her $550? You know what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about food. food. He's Labrador. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, dogs dogs or cats. I've got a cat at home, and I know they want feeding. Right. Um, they want a cuddle. If, cats uh, don't care about you, though, Ryan. No, 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 exactly. Yeah, they exactly. don't care. If you don't turn up at home, they'll find somebody else. They'll no, you're, you're right. Walk next door, right. someone will give them Feed a, me, a yeah. bowl of milk. I mean, well, but animal owners are such suckers. They will really part with huge amounts of money for anything. So this woman is onto a winner. Yeah. I think so. How do we test it? Have you got a, a pet? Um, yeah, I have a cat, actually. Um, I like, you know, I like cats and dogs. Um, I've looked after um, my auntie's dog before. Um, I think 
things like this, you know, it is, it is kind of amusing, but you do think, I think the culture of pets nowadays, I think it can go a bit too over the top with people treating their pets like they're human beings, yeah. which is, you know. It's kind of not the idea. Well, he'll turn really, up like yeah. Planet of the Apes <laughs> and he'll start attacking you. I mean, there's one here. This is, well, and what if they say they've money. got issues? They've got you're issues. Always, they want to talk yeah, about things. You're always going to make money if you've got people as stupid as this in the world, right? One reviewer said this. I really want to know what my ferret thinks about me. My ferret? Why? Why? I mean, it's just ridiculous, isn't I it? I think of all the Christmas presents that these that pets get now. I mean, they are spoiled. I know. They really are. And now I know where you're getting your cat for Christmas. Uh, thank you, guys. Uh, very kind of you. Uh, that's all from me tonight. You've been watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Uh, thank you to all of my guests. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 9pm. It's only on Talk TV. Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.